Delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv. Taking a bite out of technology. Hello, a very good day to you. Welcome to episode 508 of the Two Techies for Saturday, June 6th, 2020. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in round an hour or less with Aaron Fisher and me, Jimmy Bunting. We come together once a week to discuss, debate, converse, scrutinise and explore the world of tech. This week, what we know ahead of WWDC 2020. And worryingly, the Internet Archive, the Wayback Machine, could be at risk. You're very welcome to what is 508, episode 508 of the show, the first in June and the first for two weeks. Well, three, if you really want to look at it logistically and technically and yeah, if, if, if you want to tell the truth, I guess. Um, we, we were so quick to say in May how there would be five episodes, given that Saturday fell on five dates within May and how that wasn't always a common thing. Uh, that, that went well, didn't it? Absolutely. Well. Though the but, t- uh, we live in the real world. Go ahead. I was going to say, to our defence, we, uh, we've been struggling for news oh so much recently, just with everything that's obviously going on in the world. It's just like tech news is definitely on the back burner um, mm. for most companies. I know for various reasons, um, you know, one way or another, a lot of companies are rescheduling things. I know Sony just rescheduled things like PlayStation event, even though it was uh, online or virtual already, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I believe they've moved it. So, yeah, tech news has become, it's been a little hard to come by. It has. And I think we always say how great technology is and how great reporting and, and talking about technology is because it, there's always something new. And there is. And even through what we're going through at the moment, there is. But whether or not there's substantial bits to talk about that, that's different. And a lot of it follows the same trend, the same theme, i.e. it relates to COVID and what we're going through at the minute. Hopefully that will gradually and, and, and over time, over the next few months, change and we'll get some sense of normality back as things are stabilising a bit not not hugely but we're seeing some remnants of normality at the minute my goodness what a few weeks it has been for the world we are 2020 at least the first half has not been plain sailing we could say (laughs) so i think we just need to push on and see 2021 (laughs) hopefully that will reset right they just turn it off and on again isn't that that's what new year is isn't it supposedly what why do i just why do i just picture the second half of 2020 is going to be like ah i see your your first half of 2020 hold my beer it's going to be oh so much worse yeah uh, in terms of technology, this could have a knock-on effect, and we've talked about this before, because what what happens now will have a knock-on effect what happens next year. Technology doesn't, for, for us as, as consumers, in, in a consumer term, what we see is what we have, and what, what we use, and what we buy, and what gets released. But behind the scenes, what is happening now is actually what gets released next year, the year after, or, or what they're working on now is what contributes to what gets released next year, next month, next quarter. What we have now, or what's being released now, or what was released just before this all broke out, was work from a year ago, two years ago, 
months ago. You know, it, it doesn't happen immediately. So to what extent the knock-on will be, we don't know, but there there will be a a knock-on effect. Might not be that we realise, because we don't actually know what's coming. That's the, that's the beauty about it. We won't know what we've missed, because we never had it in the first place, I think. Apple are pushing through. They, they announced in March, way back in March the 13th, that they would have their annual WWDC conference online in a an quote all new online format and that was obviously an anticipation for what was happening they knew that realistically they weren't going to get an event so they just saved themselves the agony of releasing tickets or even thinking about it and just said that they would put it online sensible move and clearly one that's paid dividends given that they are having wwdc online in a a new online format with content for for consumers the press developers and so on and i'm sure it'll be as successful as ever The, the the what we see out of it and the announcements that they bring will will likely be close to what was meant to be anyway again what what will happen at wwdc will have been planned many months ago so yes i feel as if the 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 show that we don't talk about the the coronavirus covid pandemic is at least a good few months out to say the least and sadly that's just the way it is it's unfortunate but well it it, it will happen it will come and, and and normality will resume at some point it always does until then we'll go to the quick news Roughly four months after hitting an all-time high just before financial markets and economies faltered in the face of the current public health crisis, Apple's stock price has returned to those levels and has set an all-time high this week. Apple's previous intraday high was 327.85. That was set on January the 29th. The high watermark was surpassed just a few minutes ago. This was this week at 328 per share before pulling back slightly. Apple's share price had fallen to as low as 212 on March 23rd before beginning a fairly steady march back up. The company's all-time closing high is 327.20, which was set on February 12th. Zoom, the popular video conferencing platform, has announced it will provide end-to-end encryption after facing a litany of privacy and security concerns, but only to users who pay for it. Eric Wan, the company's CEO, raised the alarm among privacy advocates on Wednesday, saying Zoom planned to exclude free calls from end-to-end encryption so as to leave open the possibility of working with law enforcement. Free users are, are for sure... We don't want to give end-to-end encryption because we also want to work together with the FBI, with local law enforcement, in case some people use them for a bad purpose, Ron said on the call with analysts. The last time the United States consumed more renewable energy than coal was in the 19th century, with hydropower was just getting started and wood burning was a major fuel source. Well, now it's happening again, as the nation consumed more energy last year from renewable sources like solar and wind than from coal. This is the first time this has happened since before 1885, that's a whopping 135 years. America's coal consumption collapsed by another 15% last year, its weakest level since 1964. Renewable energy, by contrast, continues to boom as costs fall and climate change concerns rise. Consumption of renewable energy in the United States hit a record high last year, the fourth straight year of growth, the EIA has said. Finally, researchers in Australia claim they've recorded the fastest ever internet data speed. A team from Monash, Swinburne and RMIT universities logged a data speed of 44.2 terabits 
per second. Yes, I said terabits. At that speed, users could download more than 1,000 high-definition movies in less than a second. One second. According to Ofcom, the average UK broadband speed, it's currently around 64 megabits per second, a fraction of that recorded in the recent study. Yes, a true fraction. Australia lies in the middle of global rankings for internet speeds and slow connections are a regular source of complaints from users. Even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic with all, well not all, but at one time all stores really closed, Apple continues to float. Then again, they're the world's richest company, so I I guess that makes sense. I genuinely, in a way, I don't understand how Apple just seemed to be immune to the economy around them. Apple don't exactly exist in a market that caters for, let's say, cheaper things. Um, They're not a, a central item they're not a particularly cheap item like they cater in a particularly luxury world that you would think would be more adversely affected by the economy around it but apple have proved and i don't know how time and time and time again that they just seem to be immune to the world around them now admittedly they did have quite a huge drop off at the beginning of all of this um but have now some somehow hit higher than they had before um I don't know if more people have been buying Apple products. Obviously, there there hasn't been any major Apple releases during this time, I don't believe. Um, it just seems to be that Apple and the economy do not seem to track each other all the time, which has just always been a bit of a... It's been a bit of a funny thing to watch. I know a lot of brands um, were initially affected by this, uh, like Apple were too, and I know they have also started coming back. Obviously, you expect companies like Amazon and things um, to to do well during this time. Um, we talked about I know early on how subscription services for things like uh, Netflix and Disney Plus were obviously going to boom through this. Um, and then there were other companies that through lack of actually being able to sell anything were, were obviously going to struggle. So I'm just looking here. Apple closed the week out at 331, which is even higher. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, but to be fair, all companies up. Uh, Microsoft is up, Facebook up, Netflix, Nvidia, Adobe, Tesla, Intel, Amazon, Google, all plus um, percentages uh, over the week so I mean the economy seems to be doing pretty well for a uh, pretty crappy situation absolutely and and these companies these technology companies are the ones that are keeping us connected are keeping us entertained are keeping us busy sane and more during this pandemic not not the uh, not the most integral part but certainly an important part an important part that they're playing and I I remember when having I think it was a discussion with you Aaron, ages and ages ago and also just sort of contemplating myself in terms of technology companies and you know investment strategies for technology companies and the different segments of the companies in question the research and development areas of these businesses how far are they along in terms of behind the scenes what do they have what do they know that they will have in five ten years how future-proofed are they and how safe is technology as a long-term goal a long-term bet a long-term investment not only for for the companies themselves but also for for individuals who put money into them for stakeholders and stockholders and um, if you hold money in Apple, I know you do, Aaron, I do. How, how safe, and, and not just Apple, any technology company, how, how safe are those, those those investments? And there was an interesting perspective in that technology has had its day. It will never grow any more than it really has. And that was a perspective I, I read. And I don't know. I 
part of me had to, to cater in the fact I'm biased because I think technology is, plays an integral part in many lives and I personally don't think that's the case. I think that's utter garbage, uh, what that person said. But you have to take... I, I, I'm open to all aspects and, and all viewpoints and fair enough. But right now, I don't think that's the case. And I, I certainly don't think it will ever be the case at this point because we're so reliant on technology. And I'm, I'm not talking from the point that we can stay connected on Facebook or we can like photos on Instagram or can tweet on Twitter or we can hook up on LinkedIn and, and I can recommend you for X, Y, Z. Not so much that. That will come and go. But the core technology that we rely on for everything now, people, human nature is once you have something, it's hard to not have it if it makes your life easier or more convenient. And we as human beings, sadly, by by our DNA are lazy. And having that technology is, you know, people use technology to not be lazy. People use technology to track their steps, to try and push them on to, to be, you know, I, I, that's that's a, a very isolated example, but you know where I'm coming from. We employ technologies to, to do things we don't want to do and to help us do the things we don't want to do also. it's That's how bad it is. That's how reliant we are. And I'm not saying the over-reliance is a good thing, but having that technology there to aid us is, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And that's indicative by not only Apple's stock position, all relevant technology companies' stock position. I think a lot of um, people, not necessarily people who had that opinion, but I, th- I think a lot of opinion has changed recently just with, with the, obviously everyone pretty much having to work from home or being forced to work from home in some way. I think it really has proven our reliance on certain technologies. It's proven or highlighted some downfalls um, and also some positive things in other areas. Um, you know, you take our next quick news story, which is about uh, Zoom. Um, we've spoken about Zoom obviously so much, but the only reason we've spoken about Zoom so much is because it came to the forefront because everyone hopped on it to use for working from home. It was a piece of technology that aided that. And we spoke about, I know how we're, in a way, if you're going to if you're gonna make a positive out of a bad situation, we're so lucky that something like this happened in 2020 as opposed to 2005 or 1995 um, where you don't have to go back that far. 2005 only 15 years ago, relatively not that long ago. Um, but you think how much technology has changed just in those 15 years. And I think if this situation had happened then or even before, or even not that long ago, to be fair, you think smartphones came out, let's say 2007, 2008, they really came to fruition, what, two, three years later. So 2010, you're only talking 10 years ago. Um, I think the economy would have struggled massively had we not been at the point that we are with technology. Um, so many businesses have basically been able to kind of like not even a blip on the radar type thing. I know the, the, the business I work for, they had to make a few uh, a few changes um, just to keep themselves financially stable, obviously, and it worked out wonderfully. Um, but the, just the nature of the business they're in, it's like you flick a switch all of a sudden and everyone's working from home, barely a blip on the radar. Um, and so much of that is down to communication tools, um, things like the internet speed is as well is such a big thing, um, especially with the types of, of jobs some of us do. Um, being able to just have video calls whenever you want, like it's not even a thing you think about anymore. Um, it's just, I, I think it's crazy how we've really shown in these past few months the advancements that are still needed, but also kind of highlighting the the positive impact and the advancements that have already occurred. Yeah, yeah, and and, and how we probably do take it for granted because if you just stopped or wiped that technology out, yeah, we would be stuck. We would. 
I the excuse that Zoom are using for not encrypting free calls is a bit pathetic because surely I, and I'm I'm not a criminal so I wouldn't know but if you are a criminal and want to use the service to harbor your crime would you not just pay for the encrypted account then especially considering the CEO has blatantly outright came out and said well if you have a free account we can listen in if you don't well we can't I'm I'm kind of guessing that obviously as soon as you pay for something there's there's so much more of a paper trail um finances are involved becomes a lot yeah, more but 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 just just hold that thought there's a paper trail for you and I Aaron honest law abiding citizens we're not talking about honest law abiding citizens here we're talking about people who harbor crime i'm sure it wouldn't be so difficult for them to get i don't know a cloned card a stray card account PayPal account? I think it's prepaid so- MasterCard. I don't know. It just seems a little bit off to me. As soon as that starts happening, though, things, if it's cloned, stolen, whatever it is, like red flags start getting raised, uh, potentially, you know, there's there's more of an inherent risk when you start paying for things. Um, mm. On one hand, I go, I totally get what Zoom is saying. It totally makes sense. Obviously, you know me, the privacy side of me is going, what the hell? You know? No, it, but, but, but sorry, I'm, I'm sorry just to, to, to counter argue your point. So, paper trail. Yes, okay. If you're a criminal and you you create a paper trail of setting up an account with either a card of your card or a stolen card or whatever we're just this is completely hearsay but we'll, we'll go with it doesn't matter what the paper trail is because you can't prove what was or wasn't said on the zoom call anyway because they've paid for the encryption no not untrue um it, it just seems to me like he's i i don't i i don't get it i personally well, he's basically just turning it into oh you want to be secure oh you gotta pay for that like well, it's yeah. it, it, it's not a oh we want to work with law enforcement oh we want to we want to stop the bad guys it's it's totally just uh we want you to pay for that privilege um welcome to uh, uh software as a service these days it's uh any new feature even if we regard it as pretty basic something like encryption i think we would consider a, a pretty basic thing in our communication tools these days um i just yeah blows my mind that this stuff i mean we we berated zoom for so long obviously with all the privacy concerns they've had over the past few months um they popped up so much in the media i know we talked about it everyone talked about it and then they kind of seemed to like turn it around um in a way they they said a load of things they talked all the talk and i know at the time we were like it's all about walking the walk and here we are a month and a half later where it's like uh actually we're only going to give it to people who pay for it it's like mm. you were so close so close <laughs> <laughs> yeah so close but so far anyway yeah so um the next one's interesting i guess from a point of view of renewable energy lowering our carbon footprint clearly the the path is being paved so to speak in the united states anyway yeah i mean it's a similar story in the uk um we've actually i think had i don't know if we're still on the streak but we did a month without using any coal electricity i believe like last month or the month before um i don't know if the streak is still going i know it passed a month um which is crazy basically we were like running off of um non-coal-based power so that nuclear renewable energy obviously over here i appreciate america america's never had a great relationship with nuclear um, power from my understanding um for various reasons uh whereas in the uk it's a lot more of an accepted thing um it, you know, like i so much of our power comes from nuclear um but yeah it's cool to see a country like uh, the united states obviously with the size and population um that it has have less of a reliance on coal coal is a particularly nasty form of of uh, generating uh, generating energy so 
I, th I think the more we can do to, to kind of phase it out and get rid of it. Um, obviously, there's always controversies about whatever its replacements are in some way. Um, someone will always have something to say, but um, it's a good step forward. It's a long streak. 135 years is, is a pretty long, uh, pretty long streak to break. And probably the most interesting story, at least in my eyes, is that researchers have recorded an internet speed of 44.2 terabits. For, for, 40, 44 point, what, 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 we went from one gigabit to 44.2 terabits. How did that happen? 44 terabits. It's crazy. I, uh, phenomenal. Obviously, reading this is like, wow, that's so fast. And then the half of me goes, there's literally like no technology on this planet that could make any use of that yeah. speed. It's like 10 gigabit Ethernet seems really slow all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. There isn't, but it's not about now. It's about 10 years' time, 15 years' time. It's exactly what we're saying. The technology we use now isn't what was developed today. It's what was developed five, 10 years ago. The technology we need in the future will be developed now. And it's that future proofing that is integrally important. And I think proven by how quickly we went from, quote, not relying on it when we really did to now definitely relying on it. I'd be really interested to know the distance this was measured over. Obviously, 0.1 millimeter. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't say it's just, is it between just two buildings? Like, obviously, this isn't internet speed. Um, it's just a, it, it's a test and experiment. It, you know, very cool one and bloody quick. But um, it's just, I want to see how this applies to the real world even in five ten years it's like obviously in 10 years you know let's say five years it's not gonna suddenly be 40 terabits a second it's like that's just unrealistic to think that way there are so many bottlenecks when it comes to wide area network it's just like you just can't achieve that in any realistic time frame without basically starting again with the way the internet works um they obviously this article originally came from bbc they want to apply it to you know how quickly you could download a movie and whatnot but it's actually really interesting to see how um they're saying that this could uh, there, there's a wide variety of things this could obviously um help with the um medicine education finance e-commerce industries so many things that uh that, that fast connections like this can help with and um, not just directly how quickly you can download a youtube video yeah exactly this isn't necessarily about the consumer, yes. Well, it is, but it's not because there are so many other use cases for it. And that's the interesting point. But crazy that the technology is there to do that, at least in a an induced form for now. Probably being more realistic, WWDC, uh, June 22nd is the date. Apple will finally introduce the first beta version of iOS 14 to developers. There are some new features coming this year, of course. It's not full redesign, and it's, I don't know, I, th I think these re reiterations are just more behind the scenes than anything these days. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine, because the system works to the most extent, right? Yeah. WWDC is a little late this year. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's normally at the beginning of June. But um, I am not that interested in iOS 14. I will be totally honest. No. Or let's say I'm not that interested in iOS 14 on the iPhone. Um, it's always intriguing, especially after the past few years, to see where the iPad is going to go. Um, obviously, with recent things like the Magic Keyboard trackpad thing for the iPad, it feels like forevermore that iOS is just like a finger click away from transforming on the iPad. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch out for. Um, there are a few things on like the Magic Keyboard and obviously they introduced trackpad uh, support 
port, it feels like maybe a new version, it might make more sense. I, I From what I've understood, trackpad integration on iOS 13 works great. Um, I don't know if it feels a bit additive, like it wasn't meant to be there to begin with. It'll be interesting to see what an iOS that is designed for, let's call it cursor support, would look like. Maybe iOS 14 is, is a bit more of an indication of that. Um, I just want the train wreck that was like Catalina and iOS 13 to be over. Um, Catalina, especially on the Mac. It's just like Apple have this thing where obviously they're, they're, they're bound themselves to a yearly release now. Um, people have this expectation that a new iOS will come out, a new Mac OS came out, even though, especially with Mac OS, eh, it wasn't always like that. Um, Apple would go years without doing a, a Mac OS update. Um, but Catalina was a train wreck. iOS 13 was a train wreck when it came out. There's so many things wrong with them. Um, and it was especially disappointing after it came out, came after a release like iOS 12 that was so revered for being so stable and, and speeding up older devices and things like that. It's just Apple seemed to have these like peaks and troughs of iOS where yeah, yeah. one release will be, yay, one release will be, oh no. Um, yeah, exactly. Like we're at what, 13.5 now? 13.5.1 I think we're at. Um, and it feels like we've only recently got things like stability. It's like I'm still trying to get over the fact that iOS tech, like tech selection on iOS 13, just like, why did they change it? Why did they have to go and ruin something that worked fine? Um, things like that are really annoying. Um, because they don't have anything else to to fix, to change, to introduce. They they decide that, to change what's not broken. And, that's, and, and that's, that's the reality. That's the big thing with macOS I've found. Um, Apple have str- kind of like gone away from doing the unsexy updates. Like, there was a time, I think, probably around Snow Leopard, people will roast tinted spectacles Snow Leopard slightly, even though they have to remember that it took like four or five updates to get that thing to what you remember it as. Um, Snow Leopard ended, I think, on like 0.8, um, which is quite high for macOS. Um, and Apple did unsexy, uninteresting updates. They weren't visual changes. They weren't like, oh, new features, new apps, new this, new that, new the other. They were, it's more stable. We fixed this. We fixed that. And for the past, I think, three, four, five years, macOS has felt like every year, instead of like fixing the stuff that needs to be fixed, fixing the bugs, fixing the reasons it crashes, this, that, and the other, it's, oh, we changed the way Finder look. Like, oh, we've added voice memos. Like, just stuff that it's like, okay, my Mac's still kernel panic. Like, can we just, can we just fix yeah. that stuff like I know it's yeah. not interesting to talk about on stage I get that but I think the Mac is so far beyond that people, people like news uh, news outlets aren't covering Mac OS anyway so it's like just give us what we want the thing I am interested in is Catalyst the second year we'll be moving into the second year of Catalyst which is um, a system that uh, kind of meshes without actually meshing the iOS and Mac OS universe um, safe to say not a great year one um, the home app HomeKit app, whatever you want to call it, on the Mac is easily one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, voice memos, not that great either. So many uh, of these, like, Apple built these apps and you open them and you're like, this menu doesn't seem to work or, like, this looks like iOS shoehorned into macOS, which was one of our biggest fears for years um, when we always used to talk about, oh, will Apple merge the two worlds? It was, no, Apple will just stuff half-baked iOS apps onto the Mac and yeah, that's kind of what they did. Um, 
the Catalina. Um, the news app feels super janky. The stocks app feels super janky. Like these are apps that were clearly built for the iPad and the Mac having a different screen size is like an inconvenience for them. Um, that's not to say that Catalyst, I don't think, hasn't been a success in other areas. Um, I know some other developers have shown what you can do with the Catalyst app. Um, I know a lot of developers are happy that they don't necessarily have to create a Mac app from scratch or they don't have to lean on something like Electron, which obviously comes with its own kind of uh, can of worms, let's say. Um, I think that's been a positive impact. Um, not that developers are, are, are lazy, but I just think the Mac is not a platform with a huge user base and, and a huge user base that wants to spend lots of money on little apps. So I think a lot of traditional iOS developers haven't necessarily seen it as a top priority to, to start from scratch, spend a year or two years writing a Mac app. So when something like Catalyst came along um, that would allow them to kind of port their iOS version across, I think it was a positive thing. I don't think it was implemented particularly well, but it was a year one product. Um, I think it's one of those products that instead of just developing it behind the scenes and perfecting it until five years down the line when we can actually see it, um, which I think a few people wanted, I, I don't necessarily think that was the right thing. I think Catalyst um, is something that needed to be out in the open. It needed to be something that other developers could get their hands on and feedback on for Apple. Um, I think we just have to bear the brunt that some of the apps are a little bit crappy. Um, so I'm really interested to see how that goes at WWDC. Um, everything else, like, I'd, I don't know what they can do with watchOS. Um, yeah, it's obviously tricky because we don't get new watches or new iPhones for another like four or five months or like three, four months, whatever it is. So we kind of don't get too excited about iOS because we know any interesting features that are tied to new hardware releases are obviously uh, delayed until September, October time. Um, but yeah, other than that, I can't. I mean, things ought to get stage time. They're going to talk about TVOS. They're going to talk about TV Plus. Um, I imagine they'll do a big bit on that. Um, I imagine they're going to spend some time talking about their relationship with Google, uh, with the whole contact tracing stuff. Um, maybe I, I to develop a conference, it makes sense to talk about that stuff. Um, other than that, I just, I don't know. There are so many things that need to be improved. You, you take things like Siri and whatnot. It's just like stuff that needs like ground up starting again, pretty much. Um, there are so many things on the list, but nothing that really like jumps out was, oh, I think this is the year that Apple fixes it. Mm, yeah. Takes them some time to fix issues. And as you say, they, they do sometimes focus more on the what looks nice rather than what functions properly, which is, is frustrating and ultimately creates for a less stable product. It may look nice, but does it work? Exactly. In terms of hardware, not not really an awful lot. As you said, the watch isn't going to to really get updated for at least another half year, at the very least. And even at that, the refresh cycle for the watch for, for, for users isn't... I mean, I, I bought one. I didn't go out and buy the next new one because I don't need to. And I think Apple know that that's the case. Okay, I don't care the screen's always on. That's cool in a way, but it doesn't really... It still works for me. So I, I yeah, I think because the technology has gotten to the stage it's at, whereby it does everything thing we needed to it does it at the speed that we need it to it holds the information that we need it to and more it really can't sort of drop huge things at the minute i don't think anyway I think every enhancement to iOS and every upgrade or update has been small little changes over time that obviously compound to make a better app, but how do you make it any better? This Apart is, from making it more stable, as you pointed out. Exactly. This is why I think it's such a kick in the teeth that we're sitting here going, what could they do? Obviously, Apple are the only ones who know, but to just 
just not fixing the basic things or breaking like the core system, which just seems to happen every year. Every year, we still have the warning that it's like, maybe don't go for the point zero release. Don't go for the day one release because it just like, it, it's a janky mess sometimes. Like, how is that still a thing? How is that still a year round problem that we go through? Um, I appreciate for us, um, iOS probably looked like it hasn't changed in so long, but I appreciate under the hood. Um, oh, so much code can change, change not that much. Um, welcome to programming. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's the, it's the not fixing the basic stuff. It's the breaking the basic stuff or breaking the core stuff. Like I say, that I think really bothers us now. Um, I genuinely think so many people would be happy if this WWDC, when Apple announced macOS, watchOS, tvOS, iOS, iPadOS, you keep naming OS. Um, <laughs> if Apple go in a roundabout way, or I can, or I can write a speech for you, Tim Cook, it's fine. Don't worry, you just, just DM me. Um, <laughs> it's not a fancy new release this year. It's not any major new features, couple of things. It's all about bug fixes, stability, user experience improvements, that type of thing. I think people would genuinely be pretty happy. I don't think WWDC is is the time where we where the media get a hold of it and go, oh, you know, Apple didn't reinvent the wheel this year. That's that's don't worry, that's coming when they talk about the iPhone. Um Apple announced the iPhone. It's not that different from last year. The media slate it inevitably it sells really well. Rinse and repeat every single year. Um iOS, I think WWDC gets a little bit of a break. Um, just because it is a developer conference, it's literally in the name. Um, the the thing I'm really excited for this year is we could all say we've attended WWDC for the first time ever, <laughs> because there's no like ticket process or anything. Is this is amazing. Um, I'm really excited to see. This is such a nerdy thing. I'm really excited to see how they do WWDC online. Obviously, we all know the keynote. That's the easy thing to do online. You just live stream a keynote. Whoop, you do big deal. Mm. The WWDC is a week long event. I think we have to not forget. It's five days of rubbing shoulders with the people who made the OS that you're writing an app for. You can ask them questions. Um, you can feed back to them. You can say, why does this do this? Or how would you go about doing this? Like it's it's a one-on-one interactive thing. Um, obviously, Apple will, will do all the sessions as well. Again, sessions are pretty much just keynotes spread throughout the week. But it's that one-on-one developer time that I think is going to be a big hit for a lot of uh, iOS developers or macOS developers this year. Um, the a lot of people have talked about if this goes well, will Apple move to an online-only event in the future? I just don't see it. Um, I think because WWDC is such a hands-on event, I don't think it will work. Maybe for things like the iPhone event, maybe it does work. Um, we know that Apple, so many product releases, they do press briefings around the country. Getting people's hands on products is is, is not that difficult when they're not in a central location for Apple. Um, but I just think the developers conference will probably be the one that does continue to be a thing a physical thing a physical thing every year and even the accessories alongside the products you know the apple pencil just as one they you know for for example apple added some new apple pencil related features in ipad os uh, 13 last year they're saying ipad os 14 might include apple pencil input and websites making it compatible not only to scroll and touch also draw and mark up on on capabilities in safari and other browsers and these are small changes that we don't always realize as consumers, as users. And then when the ability comes out to use it, sites, uh, for example, in this case, sites would adopt that. And then all of a sudden, this is really useful. So the changes behind the scenes and the small changes do compound. They do make bigger, up for bigger things and, and, and subsequently 
make for a, a better experience all around. What, for you, what's the most, I would say exciting, but not exciting, but the most prevalent part, or what What would you like the most prevalent part to be here? Um, I think it's, I, like I say, I think for me it's um, stability on macOS will be mm. the most exciting thing, and another year of Catalyst. Um, macOS 10, was it 15 now? Whatever Catalina is, I think has got to be the most disappointing thing of the uh, of WWDC from last year. Just I don't know. It was it was it was meant to be really good with lots of new things and kind of this like breakthrough with 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 the system like Catalyst, and then it just didn't. It just missed. Um, stability wasn't there. We know it's had a few security issues. Um, Catalyst wasn't that great. Like just all things like that. Everything else seemed alright. Like iOS 13. I know lots of people had complaints. I had a few myself, but it didn't feel anything crazy. WatchOS, TVOS, iPadOS have all felt pretty stable. Um, I think for me, just a daily, yeah, 12, 16 hour a day Mac user, macOS is uh, is is pretty important to me. And uh, some of the things have been so annoying. I think it was Catalina that introduced, um, I don't know if you, when you upgraded to Catalina, if you noticed that about 50,000 dialogues popped up with, can I send you notifications? Can I send yeah. you notifications? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do the other? Which, bearing in mind, Apple made fun of when Vista came Windows out. Vista. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, ah, and how the tables have turned. It's one of those things I appreciate the idea. Um, I just feel like it could have been executed better. Yeah. Story of Mac OS. True. Release and refine, I think, is the the lesson learned. What could be more pressing this week is that archive.org, the online internet archive, now face a lawsuit over online book lending, which could bankrupt the actual internet archive, which I think a lot of people who have used it or are aware of it will agree is an integral part of the internet which we use. Behind the scenes, okay, it's not the forefront, but it's still a very useful tool and it's a good way to look back on how far we've came. Publishers call the online library willful digital piracy on an industrial scale. Or the nation's leading book publishers have sued the Internet Archive, the online library best known for maintaining the Internet Wayback Machine. The Internet Archive makes scanned copies of books, both public domain and under copyright, available to the public on a site called the Open Library. Despite the Open Library moniker, IA's actions grossly exceed legitimate library services, do violence to the Copyright Act, and constitute willful digital piracy on an industrial scale, write publishers Hatchet, HarperCollins, Willie, and Penguin Random House in in their complaint. The lawsuit was filed in New York Federal Court on Monday. The open library has been available for almost a decade. It gives users the ability to, quote, borrow scans of in-copyright books via the internet. And until recently, the service was based on a concept called controlled digital lending that mimicked the restraints of a conventional library. The library would only lend as many digital copies of a book as it had physical in its warehouse. If all copies of a book were, quote, checked out by other patrons, you'd have to join a waiting list. So in March, as the coronavirus pandemic was gaining steam, the Internet Archive announced it was dispensing with this war- uh, waiting list system under a program it called the National Emergency Library. IA began allowing a number of people, an uh, lim- unlimited number of people, to continue to check out the book at the same time, the same book at the same time, even if IA only allowed, or sorry, had owned one physical copy. So before this change, publishers largely looked the way, the other way, sorry, as IA and other few libraries experiment with the, these digital lending concepts. Some publisher groups condemned the practice, but no one actually filed a lawsuit over it. But now, this emergency lending program 
seemingly has been harder for publishers to ignore. And as a result, they have proceeded to sue the Internet Archive. This could be devastating, Aaron, right? Yeah. This feels like one of those things that I think, as the article alludes to, it was kind of skating on the edge of, of kind of being sued or legality, whatever you want to call it, for a long time. Um, but I think because they were operating on the model of they had a physical book and they lent a copy or a digital copy of that physical book that so was one-to-one. Yeah, they got they had six copies they could lend six digital copies and like i imagine that probably ruffles some feathers somewhere but it's it's kind of easier to to, to accept obviously with the whole we're doing away with the limit um kind of thing book publishers kind of feel like they were forced to do this in a way um because basically means for free you could go and get a copy of any book which i know a lot of people say well that's what a library is it's like yes but much like the model they had before a library can only lend you the physical copy that they have um, that they own um, the internet archive I, I know you said it it's done such wonderful things um, the Wayback Machine is what a lot of people may know it for the internet archive is, is so much more behind that but the Wayback Machine is probably one of its biggest public facing things um, you can send stuff to the internet archive I think um, and, and they will archive it for you um, but the Wayback Machine um, I don't know how long it's been going for it must be like 15-20 years crawls the web um, you can I think submit some but it will crawl the web and basically take a copy of websites every so often. It's the way we've been able to look back at what Apple used to look like in 1999 type thing, um, which is just fascinating stuff to go back through. Um, it's the pretty much the only slice of, you know, or the way we can get slices of history um, for the internet itself. Um, it would be a shame for something like this to cause kind of such an effect on the entire organization. I, I, I do appreciate that should something happen to the book side, I imagine kind of the, the bit that houses the Wayback Machine, I, I would be very surprised if it doesn't spin off into its own not-for-profit or company or whatever. Um, I don't think both will go down at the same time. It's just a shame that so much risk has been put on such a wonderful tool. Um, I don't think this is... I know a lot of people have, have called it particularly silly. Um, I don't necessarily think it's silly. I think um, it's just like, I, I don't know, they've skirted around the rules slightly for so long. Long, um, that I think is coronavirus hit and they had to do this national emergency library thing. Um, I think it just got a little too much in the end for the publishers to accept. I think it was the, the, the final straw which broke the camel's back really, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was something that the publishers were well aware of for some time and probably didn't, it didn't sit well with them, but there wasn't a lot they could do given that it was in line with physical lending. However, now the the next step, i.e. the quote emergency library has has given them room to complain I think they made a stupid move here. They 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 overstepped the boundary. They were already playing on a little bit of an uneven surface on thin ice, and realistically, this was coming because it's copyrighted content. But at the same time, it was a mistake, and we can all make mistakes. Okay, some more than others, and in terms of business, maybe not so much. But I would hate to see the complete devolution of this fantastic service due to one mistake. It it does more good than it has done bad in my eyes, and. 
personally, I believe that the value of the archive is more than the damage to those publishers, bottom line. Yeah, it's um, this is kind of like solving a problem short term, but not thinking about the long term effect that not having something like this uh, can cause. You think of how many texts that have uh, have been written in history um, that we don't have a copy of now. No copy was ever made, obviously, pre-digital world um, and stuff like that. But it's like we look back now and we see the actions of, of certain periods of time in time when when historic texts were destroyed in ways um you look at like world war ii and whatnot we know huge amounts of um historic artifacts were, were destroyed um and like uh, here we are 80 90 years later um and for obvious reasons we look back on it like it's you know it's devastating that none of that stuff can be retrieved none of that stuff exists like history wiped out um i think nowadays the fact that we have these tools to make digital copies um and preserve them in theory forever is 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 a positive thing um it would be a shame if something like that was uh was taken away from us just through publishers legitimately i think trying to solve a now problem mm, yeah crazy we'll see how it pans out we'll follow it and we will um we'll come back when we hear more from it before we end for the day for the week of course we said what a week it's been at the start of the show we didn't address the the main topical issue which has been going on the last week or so and of course it it's not covid it's not coronavirus we're well aware of that and and have been for quite some time now it's more the case of what went on in america last week whereby a, a clear act of racism um, occurred and it opened up the floodgates for a a very real issue and we didn't talk about the end of the sh- or the start of the show it would be remiss if we didn't at least very quickly touch on it for the fact that i, I don't think we we need to because i think it's obvious and it supersedes a lot that's going on right now uh, in, in the world and it's an important thing to address and it is that there is no room for racism anywhere for any reason and and through the week i'm not sure about you Aaron, but i've listened to many different ideologies and theories and, and, and people supporting that fact and go into a lot of depth and detail about how people have been suppressed for time and time before and in, in, in certain time periods and certain ethnic groups have underwent x y and z and i 100 percent agree that that should have never been the case it was unfortunately but it shouldn't be in 2020 it shouldn't be in 20 anything but the fact of the matter is we shouldn't have to sit and talk about it for hours and hours and and, and countless times on end and we're not going to in the show because i don't believe I'm not saying we we don't need to because it isn't an issue i'm saying we shouldn't have to because it shouldn't be an issue it should just be common practice commonplace common sense normality normal life so to end the show today, the simple statement from us is it's not acceptable. It never has been, never will be. There's no room for it. And we condone the actions that, 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 that took place earlier in the week. And hopefully as a, a nation, we'll come out of both this and the coronavirus pandemic a little bit stronger and a little bit wiser. Because it's certainly not not not, not just the, the event of in the last week, but for, for me anyway, coronavirus just opened my eyes to how, how undeveloped we really are as a nation. In some ways. In some ways we're very developed and we've done a great job but we i think we 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 at at one point overestimated our abilities in being normal human beings as a race of people and sometimes we surprise ourselves by how stupid we can be in actions not us personally but again as a a grip of people in a nation am i right aaron that would would, would you you accept that as a, a generalized statement yeah crazy 
So the bottom line is there's no room for racism. I don't feel as if I, I feel as if that covers anything and everything we could possibly say about it. And we stand with those who are affected at this time about it. And hey, we're the issue is being addressed. It is is being spoken about. It's been openly addressed. Hopefully that that brings the change that should have been brought a long time ago. That brings us to the end of episode 508 of the show. You can listen to more episodes munchtech.tv, of course. Our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. If you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile. And our book, not sure if it's on the way back machine or not. That's a touchy subject. Maybe too soon. munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide and podcastassist.com. Of course, we also have our interview with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, computing pioneer and engineering genius, munchtech.tv forward slash was. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Until next time, episode 509, same time, same place, next week. Have an enjoyable week, a safe one, and we will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.